Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in our Halloween retrospective series. Today we are talking about Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. I am your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. And today's film is directed by Dwight H. Little. Never heard of him? I don't blame you. He has just done TV. He did the movie Broken Arrow, which I hear is cheesy fun. And he did the weird Phantom of the Opera Robert England version, which I've hmm. never seen. Yeah, can't say I've ever heard of him before. The film is written by Adam B. McElroy, who has an interesting repertoire of The Marine, starring John Cena, Spawn, and Wrong Turn. Hmm. Now, I've heard of Spawn, but I haven't heard of the other two. Wrong Turn is a horror movie that has spawned like 20 sequels about these really? ki- teenagers wrong turning into hillbillies or something. Don't Haven't seen it, have no desire to see it, and I'm not going to see the Marine as far as I know. So kind of a, a an interesting crew here. Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, basically, a bunch of people that aren't really popular to take on the Halloween series. Hmm. Well, you noticed I have not mentioned John Carpenter or Deborah Hill yet, and I'm going to explain why their name is nowhere near this movie. Yeah, the only John Carpenter thing I ever saw in this entire film was probably that the music is done by John Carpenter, or sorry, the the rights to the music thanks to John Carpenter or something like that. Yes. They had, it sounds like to me, I mean, I know you know this these details more than I do, but it sounds like to me they just didn't really want to have much to do with this. No. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill originally were going to come back and produce. Carpenter was going to write the script with, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name. He, he has nothing to do with the final product of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but... Anyways, they are going to write a fourth movie, and yes, it was supposed to feature Michael Myers, but not in the usual way. So basically, the movie was going to be about Halloween was banned in Haddonfield, and the repression of Halloween brought Myers back as some kind of spirit and ghost. You can actually read the script online. I did go ahead and read not all of it. I did read some of it, though, and it's a fairly interesting concept that, honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing put to the screen. Maybe it's one of those things that would only work in the 80s. Maybe with today's technology, it might actually work better. It's very strange. It was going to... All the main characters were going to be Tommy Doyle, uh, Cindy Wallace, and Lonnie Lamb, mostly those little kids you saw and some of the other side ones you saw from the first movie. And this was going to be about how Halloween is no longer acceptable in Haddonfield or whatever. Anyways, Mustafa Cod, yeah. who owned most of the rights to the property anyway, said this movie is too cerebral. No thank you. We're not going to go with this. We want something much more traditional. So uh, Hill and Carpenter sold all of their stake in Halloween to a cod. They literally said, okay, well, if you're not going to go with what we want, then we're just done with the franchise. You already kind of forced us to come back for two. 
everybody hated three and was really confused. It's just not going to work. So that's pretty much why they didn't come back for this one. And they technically haven't been back since, except for the new movie that is coming out this year. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. I, I do recommend listeners go check out this. Go check out the script. Uh, it's not Carpenter's script, mind you. It's the other writer, but they were working together on it. So, and this was going to be a Carpenter and Hill sanctioned idea. And they did the first movie, and they did play a role in the second. But the first was pretty great. So, normally you listen to people like that, and when you don't, then it's it's not worth your hassle to stay a part of the production. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so yeah, go check out the script. It is worth it to check out. Anyways, the movie stars Donald Pleasance, Ellie Cornell, Danielle Harris, Michael Pataki, Bo Starr, Sasha Jensen. Who do you think Sasha Jensen is? Hmm. I can only guess. One, uh, I think it's the friend of the sister of the main character. Am I correct? No. Oh. <laughs> Sasha, Sasha Jensen is Brady, the boyfriend. Oh, I wouldn't it, have ever guessed that. I wouldn't have either. That really threw me for a loop when I was like, oh, his, his name is Sasha Jensen. Okay. It I works. would have never have guessed that. I know. Kathleen Kinmont and George P. Wilbur, who was playing Michael Myers this time, who has never played Michael Myers before, by the way. Yeah. yeah basically, a, a brand new cast. Um, Donald Pleasance, was he a big name at this point? I'm assuming yes, because he was the first person on the credits. I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of being a big name. He yeah. had been uh, the... Bond villain a couple years, well, not a couple years, it it had been about two decades at this point when he played in the Bond movie with the biggest budget at the time, You Only Live Twice, uh, he played Blofeld, and the only reason I know that is because I literally just watched it like three days ago. Yeah. So that kind of kind of put him out there, and from then on, he was kind of this name, but I don't think he ever was too big, but this was Probably Halloween series was his claim to fame, so. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I was just curious because I saw his name, and I know the guy. I'm sure. pretty sure almost everyone does, and I just saw his name as, like, the first one on the credits, and I just kind of figured uh, that he must be the biggest name here. Mm-hmm. So, Halloween 4 was released October 21st, 1988, exactly 10 years after the first movie, and six years after the third one. And this is interesting because I think they decided to wait so long. This is a long time for yeah. a sequel. I believe they decided to wait so long because they wanted people's palates to be cleansed from the third one. They wanted it to be out of their minds as much as possible. So then when they released, hey, this is going to be called The Return of Michael Myers, it got people excited again. And hopefully at that point they had forgotten the third one and they just remembered the first two which they enjoyed yeah and it kind of sounds like it was had a little bit of a run with production hell uh trying to get that script figured out with carpenter and all sorts of stuff as well that definitely is part of it that would have pushed it back but yeah six years hmm i wonder if that paid off in the box office when it was all said and done 
yeah, let's look at the box office real quick. So the movie has a budget of $5 million. It's fine, I guess. Honestly, this movie doesn't need a big budget, really. Yeah, it's very... Because closer to the original's budget, uh, which I know is also very small as well. Yeah, it's probably closer to the sequel budget or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a big budget compared to the first movie, which did not even have a million dollars. Right. But anyways, I don't think this movie opened worldwide. It only had a domestic release, as far as I could tell. So it made $17.7 million at the box office. It made over three times its budget back, which is yeah. good. So yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's good, but yeah, not great. I mean, oh no, this um, this is really bad numbers compared to the first three. Actually, it was the yeah, lowest grossing one so far. Right. It's clear that maybe audiences weren't exactly ready for Michael to come back, or re- um, they deserved really want him to come back. Um, even though they toted this as re- the return of Michael Myers, we're not going to do what we did last time. Exactly. And it was number one opening weekend with $6.8 million, so it exceeded its budget. Not really hard to do with a $5 million budget. And honestly, it had no competition whatsoever. There yeah. was literally no competition. The only competition was the weird romantic drama. I, I can't say weird. I haven't seen it. Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts. That's that is an odd name. It was going head to head. Halloween was going head to head with Mystic Pizza, and Mystic Pizza was like I don't know number eight at the box office or something. Yeah. yeah. So you can see they picked the right time to release this because if this had come out with any other competition, I'm thinking it might have gotten creamed. Oh yeah, and this has kind of been a running thing for the past sequels as well. Is they come out at this time where basically nothing else of note. Um, is being released at the time, and everything that is has already made their run, and they're on week like ten of uh of their tenure. All right. Well, adjusting for inflation, this is number eight out of ten. Ten being the lowest grossing movie. Ooh, yikes! And I guess I should say at the time it grossed just a just a little bit above Halloween three, but quite a bit below Halloween two. Like I said, adjusting for inflation, it falls below. It actually does fall below Halloween two and three by quite a bit. Yeah, gotcha. Well, let's look at the tagline. I kind of like to look at taglines of movies because sometimes there's great taglines and sometimes there's not. So let's pick the best tagline. The first tagline is "It's going to be one hell of a family reunion." <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. The next one is, 10 years ago, he changed the face of Halloween. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I, would, I would get me excited, I would say. Oh, and the, the tack on is, tonight he's back. Hmm. So I think that's pretty good. And the other one is, horror has returned to Haddonfield. Yeah. So I guess probably the second choice and the third choice are good. Right. Yeah, the first one's not great, but the other two are they're fine, I suppose. I mean, sure. it's it's really all your only your the only thing you're looking for mm-hmm. in a Halloween movie. Well, the trailer I really believed got people jazzed because it definitely got me jazzed. This trailer is mm-hmm. great. It okay, I gotta say, it cribs off of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because Texas Chainsaw, yes, absolutely, yes, exactly. You saw it too. Texas Chainsaw opens with black screen, white 
text with a ominous voice reading something very solemnly. This is exactly what this does. It's a nice recap, but I will say it's kind of quite deceptive because we open with, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, but the opening shot of the trailer is deceptive. The trailer shows all the best parts, but I think it's still great and would get me in the theater because it looks like a true sequel and it gives the same feel of the original Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this trailer, honestly, I actually did really enjoy this trailer. I don't think I've ever seen one that begins uh, with the white text and the black background and this ominous voice other than Texas Chainsaw before. So it it got me interested and it made it was pretty spooky. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I was back at this age, if I had saw it, seen the trailer, I probably would have been excited to go see it again just by the trailer alone. So, yeah, other than the beginning part, I don't know. It kind of makes the makes the movie feel a lot bigger. Oh, yeah. Um, which is which is kind of half true. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into those details, but it it's kind of half true that this movie's bigger, per se, than the others. Yeah. Um, a little bit of deception there. I mean... This is, of course, that's really nothing, nothing abnormal either. So how has this movie fared with fans and critics over time? Currently on IMDb, it holds a 5.9. Pretty close to number three. Close, but still better than number three. Thankfully. Yes. And that's, that's pretty mediocre to meh, like just not very good territory. Right. And I cross-referenced it with Rotten Tomatoes. 29% of critics uh, say, go for it. This is good. (laughs) And 53% of the audience, which is technically over half, say, yeah, "Yeah, it's a good one. So from everything I figured, when this movie came out, it received critical reception, some negative reviews. But over time, it has become more fond of the sequels i would say to fans more modern reviews have been a lot nicer to the movie and have found a lot more enjoyment with it and i can see why and honestly we're gonna get into it but this movie you can tell has changed from the very first one this movie immediately the trailer shows it's trying to capture a texas chainsaw feel some of the kills are very yeah. much like Friday the 13th with the over-the-top violence and stuff. Or Hellraisers, not as far as Hellraiser, but horror had advanced beyond Halloween. This movie was on a six-year hiatus, so they had to come back and get audiences to do something else. So you can see it's different. Right. And at this point, too, you know, we once Halloween came out, then a bunch of horror classics started coming out in the years after that as well. Um, so it was basically time for Halloween to do a comeback and the end of the 80s, I guess, to kind of just cap it off uh, with the 80s horror genre that had kind of exploded at this point, too. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was just kind of the right time for it to come out, I suppose. Um, whether or not it was a good movie is up for debate and why we're here now. But it, it's interesting that Halloween... that basically started the horror genre of the 80s is kind of beginning to close it off as well right and i want to note that this okay the script for this movie the final draft including the final draft mind you was written in about 11 days oh 
Whoa. So at the time, there was a writer's strike. This forced McElroy to develop a concept, pitch the story, and send in the final draft in under 11 days. Wow. The only other movie I know that had been written with... In like that same amount of time is a is a newer movie called A Ghost Story, and that one was written in like a, I think a couple of weeks, um, so I guess technically a little bit longer. But that's but that makes sense because there is hardly any dialogue in that movie. This one's much different. This one's much different. When we get into the movie, we'll talk about uh, why it makes sense. This was written in eleven days, but I won't say anything yeah. yet. Anyways, so I want to mention the original script was actually supposed to involve the character Brittany, a.k.a. Britty Lloyd. But, of course, it was later changed to Jamie Lloyd to honor Jamie Lee Curtis not being in the movie. Yeah, I kind of figured that was the case when they referred to her as Jamie. I was just like, they probably did that for Jamie Lee Curtis's sake. Did you find that to be Um, weird, though? That just kind of took me out of it for a minute because I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, I mean, at first, I didn't think too much of it, and then they kept saying, Jamie was like, wait a minute. And then I I began to catch on, kind of, I guess. It, it's more of a homage than anything else, but I mean, if they, honestly, okay, honestly, if they would have only said her name, like, maybe once or twice, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but they keep repeating oh, it. Yeah. And that's kind of what took me, began to take me out. <laughs> they do say it a lot in this movie. Yeah. And something very funny is actually Melissa Joan Hart, who you may know as Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and she's gone on to do some Hallmark movies. She nearly got the role for Jamie. So, I I don't know. That would have been interesting. Yeah, that would have been very interesting. Okay, you're probably wondering why Laurie Strode is not here. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis did not come back for this movie. Well, okay, the reason she didn't come back is the producers really wanted her to come back, but she declined the role because she had become quite the Hollywood success. She had been in Trading Places, which was pretty big for her. A number of other movies, she would go on to do True Lies. If I believe it, True Lies came around came out around this time with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So she had just kind of outpaced and outgrown the franchise. Uh, she hadn't been in it for like, eight years so i can definitely see why she was not a part of it and the original script was supposed to explain why she wasn't in it she was supposed to have died in a car accident but for the life of me i cannot find that piece of dialogue of explanation in this movie did you catch it no um died in a car accident that's a that's a sad way to go out for this kind of a franchise. Oh, I know. But did it bug you at all that they really didn't give any explanation to Jamie's parentage and Lori's death? Yeah, they kind of... They, I know. I do remember that they mentioned something about uh, Jamie's, uh, Jamie's character. Not Jamie, the little kid, but Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Lori Strode. They mentioned something about her, her death, but... I can't remember anything else past them just mentioning it. They really don't go into detail. Well, see, that really bugged me that the really one of the huge important characters of the first two, this is supposed to be a return to Haddonfield and Halloween. And I get they want to reboot it with like fresh faces and a new concept and whatnot. But at the same time, at least drop us a line of where Lori went. I had to do some digging to figure out 
I, I just can't understand. They had it in the script, and I guess for pacing purposes, not to dwell on it too much, they cut it out. But that really frustrates me that Lori is just dropped in here. She is just like, oh, my mom died 11 months ago, and that's it. Nothing. That's all. That's it. And we don't know who the dad is. I guess he died too. That kind of bugged me. Yeah, I, I do kind of agree with that. I mean, when the movie was all said and done, it didn't bother me too much. Yeah. But yeah, they should have had at least something that was very forward in telling us that this is what happened to Lori and this is why we're here now. They didn't have that. I mean, they briefly mentioned something, but it doesn't give us any explanation. A fun little tidbit of trivia is we just recently covered the Lost World Jurassic Park. Yes, these movies are connected. Are you surprised? Really? You should be. Well, okay. Go to the scene where the T-Rex is uh, by the video store and it like the bus crashes into it or something. You will see VHS copies of Halloween 4 and 5 on the racks and, and maybe a poster. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Anyways, uh, something else I recommend listeners you check for while watching this movie I'm not giving away any spoilers, so don't worry. But in the school scene at the end, Michael Myers is actually wearing a blonde mask in some brief scenes. Or blonde hair on his mask, I should say. Hmm. They, I did not catch that. I didn't, I didn't catch it either, uh, but then I did go back. And so they were originally fiddling with making... Michael Myers have blonde hair instead of the usual black or brown or whatever. Well, they decided to scrap that, but then they had to do reshoots, and they were like, oh, crap. Um, they just decided to leave in certain scenes with the blonde hair. They didn't want to go back and... Because they tested it with the blonde hair, but they didn't want to go back and fix those scenes. So you will notice <laughs> blonde hair if you catch it. It's very quick, so it's not a, lot of, a big shock yeah. or anything, but... Anyways. Yeah, Michael with blonde hair, no. That that doesn't it's work. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I can't even begin to imagine what that would look like. A whole movie with Michael with blonde oh, no. hair. Uh uh. Well, listeners, we're about to go into spoiler territory with Halloween four. If you haven't seen it and you don't want it spoiled for you, then I encourage you to press pause right now. Go watch the movie and come back and hit play. We'll be right here where you left off. But you've been warned that we're going to spoil this movie in three, two, one. Michael Myers has lay dormant for 10 years after his murderous rampage on Halloween night that left 16 dead. While being transferred back to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, Myers escapes. Back in Haddonfield, Lori Strode has died, leaving behind her seven-year-old daughter, Jamie, who is in the foster care of the Carruthers. Jamie is having nightmares of Myers, who she does not know nor has ever seen. Mercilessly ridiculed and ostracized at school, Jamie finds solace in her foster sister, Rachel. Except Rachel is bummed she has to take Jamie trick-or-treating, because she wants to cement her romantic future with Haddonfield heartthrob, Brady. While trick-or-treating, Rachel sees Brady at Kelly Meeker's house, the daughter of the new sheriff. This distraction causes Rachel to lose track of Jamie, which creates panic as they search for each other. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis has returned to Haddonfield to warn the sheriff a repeat massacre is likely to ensue. 
To the sheriff's worst fears, Loomis is right. The entire police force, save for a small number, have been wiped out, and the town's power has been blacked out thanks to Michael. Holding up at the sheriff's house, all the main players wait in, in anticipation for the state police to arrive, but Michael has found a way in and takes out everyone except for Rachel and Jamie, who escape via the rooftop. Loomis finds the bewildered Jamie and takes her to the schoolhouse, where Michael is there as well, magically, but he's temporarily stopped by a group of vigilante rednecks who take Rachel and Jamie and Loomis out of the city. Thinking all is safe, Michael peers atop the vehicle and ripping the rednecks apart uh rachel is able to throw myers from the vehicle and ramming him with the truck he flies towards an abandoned mine shaft where the sheriff and police arrive to blow him to kingdom come figuring the nightmare is over all head back to the carruthers house while jamie's foster mother draws her a bath a pov shot calling back to the first film signifies myers is still not dead Letting out a blood-curdling scream, everyone rushes towards the stairs to find Jamie in a near-replica of Michael's childhood clown costume, smattered in blood, wielding a bloody scissors as credits roll. Okay, so I'm just going to throw it out here. This is basically a remake of the first movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of points in this where they essentially just recycle oh, yeah. plot points a lot there are, i guess there are also some pieces of uh the second one as well they're also in here you know, when they go to the school yes. and, and stuff like that but yeah you're you're right it's it's kind of like a um it's kind of like a force awakens oh, yeah. deal where they kind of just go back to the original and say well this one works let's just redo it but give it some new branding you know I was a little surprised to find this movie so similar, and it makes sense the script was written in 11 days because it cribs so much off of the first movie. There's really not a lot of original material here, but we'll get into that yeah. here in a second. Anyways, there was yeah. actually supposed to be an original opening that would retcon Halloween 2 and help bridge the gap between... Two and four since it had been such a long time. It was supposed to show yeah. Loomis was, when the hospital exploded, it would show Loomis being thrown back to such a place that would not kill him. And it was going to show Myers burning and Loomis is like, let him burn or something. But they ultimately had to like extinguish the fire. And the reason they didn't bridge the gap and retcon is because I think they really just wanted a fresh reboot. They do drop lines in the beginning about, they give you a nice recap in the beginning of the events yeah. of Halloween 2 and I guess some of Halloween 1. Uh, it's, I think it's a good thing. We just start off. And honestly, the opening of this one is very similar to, the opening of the first Halloween where, well, not the opening, but you get the part in the first act where Loomis is driving in the rain with the nurse to get Michael. So, Right, right. Yeah, um, it is interesting, too, that, like you said, this is basically a reboot. Um, we don't have the pumpkin uh. opening like we had in the first two. Like That's just gone. Um, we have the original theme, which it sounds better than it did in Halloween 2. Um, but, yeah, the, the pumpkin opening for both of those that we both said were marvelous to see gone they, they we just got like a basic opening here it's just kind of it's kind of sad but i mean 
it is a reboot. They're wanting to redo a lot of things and all that kind of stuff. So I can see why they didn't do it. Um, but it is interesting how we begin with farm at a farm mm-hmm. and a, an ambulance drives by. I was not expecting this out of a Halloween movie. It felt a little bit more like Texas Chainsaw, I guess. But Yeah, I kind of didn't even think about it until you brought it up. But the movie does not open with the classic theme song with the slow zoom into the pumpkin. I think they are really just going for a total reboot where they're trying to start fresh. Honestly, I liked it. It was very creepy rural farm imagery with pumpkins and some little witches and tractors almost no music at all actually just some wind and the first thing we see is this october 20th 1988 and and then we get the title i like it actually not better than the original i mean yeah i'm (laughs) yeah you know i absolutely agree um yeah this opening even though we don't have the pumpkin the like like in the first two it doesn't bother me really that much either. It's just interesting to see this change of pace and what we've basically become accustomed to. Uh, Halloween 3 doesn't count, though. So, okay, I think this is kind of weird in the beginning. We see Michael laying there, and his face is still bandaged after 10 years? Yeah! No. Why? No, it doesn't make any sense. And I am glad... We did not get a Nightmare on Elm Street thing because Freddy had his burned face in that. I'm glad we didn't see some weird burned Myers face. Uh, that would really have turned fans away. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, they were smart in keeping his face a secret. I mean, I guess I can see why they bandaged it because they need to keep his face a secret. But yeah. Um, yeah, his... We don't get to see his face still, which um, for a lot of fans... That's going to be a good thing, just to kind of keep it a, a faceless villain, essentially. I mean, we have this big theme of Michael being basically the embodiment of all evil. So it would have been anticlimactic and probably go against his character completely to show his face. But one thing I do think is interesting is that they are transporting Michael with no security. Yeah. Even though he's in a maximum security sanitarium, he's transported on just an ambulance. Two, three, no, three uh, hospital workers, just, you know, normal people, I guess. What? Yeah, that is the unbelievable part. It would have been nice if they would have at least got one armed guard to go with them because he still is a mass murderer. (laughs) Uh, Just because he's been laying dormant, supposedly, or whatever, which I don't know would have deteriorated his muscle completely and he would not be as powerful as he is, but apparently he is supernatural as we have seen. Right. Because there's no way he would have survived the second movie. And same with Loomis. You just really have to suspend a lot of belief and just go along with everything because plot. And they're just cribbing off the first one. Uh, it's fine. Right. It, it's a lot of exposition of a recap. And then oh, they yeah. say... Oh, you know, his niece is in Haddonfield right now, blah, blah, blah. And then, dun, 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 that's what's going to get him to go back and hunt her down. I don't know. You just got to go with it. It, Yeah. (laughs) There is a lot of exposition spilling in this opening scene. Distractingly, almost. Um, 
the, <laughs> the that poor officer. The only thing he ever does is spill exposition and make religious imagery quotes. It's, I don't know. This officer, he's a silly guy. Although it is unmistakable, this does kind of set up more religious um, themes, I guess you could say, uh, that do kind of come back at multiple points in this movie. But here in the opening, it's like almost in your face with everything that this officer is saying, not just exposition-wise, but setting up those religious themes like Welcome to Hell or um, something else along the lines of... Well, he says something else. Oh, yeah. Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this place. Very much... Um, very forward with that religious imagery. So I definitely feel this is very campy, but it's working for me. Yeah, it's it feels like the movie knows it's already campy and it's kind of just running with it. Like in three, it was campy by with by all the wrong means, but in this one, it it feels necessary almost. This is completely campy, but it feels like the movie knows yeah. that, which is a good thing. It's the eighties, so we kind of want some yeah. of that. This is a pure 80s horror movie. And we get some more exposition dump from Jamie and Rachel. Jamie says, you know, her parents died 11 months ago. We learned that Lori actually babysat Rachel. Why not make this um, the girl that she babysat in the first movie? Why make this a whole new character? I don't get that. I don't know. I think that's Um... a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I guess they want to go to show that this is running in the family, you know. But, I don't know. It, they could have, like you said, they could have really gone with almost anybody, but I suppose they wanted to keep it tied to the family because Laurie Strode is, um, I think she's a daughter, right, of Michael. No, no, the sister of Michael. Am I correct in that? Yeah, you're, you're correct. And I understand okay. the Jamie connection, but to me... It's just interesting how Rachel brings up how she was babysat by Lori when she was Jamie's age. And I'm like, but why not just use right. uh, whatever that girl's name is? And, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. You know the girl that they pick uh, Jamie up with from school? So when they pick, yeah, when they pick Jamie up, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit. They pick Jamie up and... The friend who was driving the car is named Lindsay. Okay, she was actually in the original script supposed to be Lindsay Wallace from the first movie that we see as the little girl. To me, it's like, why make a character and not even do anything with it? Just make Rachel Lindsay. And uh, just a little, we are going to actually get something very similar in Halloween 6, but I won't go into that yet. Anyways, there were supposed to be two scenes in the script that were never filmed where they show Michael following Rachel, Jamie, and Lindsay to the discount mark like he did in the first movie, and Rachel getting ice cream with Jamie as they talk about her getting adopted by her parents. I really would have liked these scenes. I think they should have been in the movie. Yeah. Oh, they should have had these scenes because I didn't know who these parents were. Uh, because at first I was like, okay, well, they're her parents. And then it goes on to say, oh, no, your mom's dead or mm-hmm. something like that. And it, clearly their mom is gone and the, she's adopted. And it's just like, wait, wh- huh? It's just, it's confusing. And the movie doesn't really explain this until much, much later. And it's, it is confusing. I, they should have had that scene where they explained to us that they did adopt her. Yes, we get kind of all of the really obvious exposition or things we already knew 
from previous movies, but then actual connections and relationships just totally go unexplained. Why is Jamie? Yeah. How did how did Jamie come into the foster care of these people? And there's just so many questions this movie has where you're just supposed to go with it, I guess. But okay, right. here's another question: Right, is Rachel out of high school? I get the feeling she is, but then at the same time, I feel like the the Kelly girl is in high school, and Brady might be in high school too. But I feel like they're probably out of high school. Just the way, because Rachel's like, you know, well, I want to have a, I want to get married to him, and we're going to do this and that, and there's just so much, the movie is so rushed, they really just want to get into the plot of scariness, they kind of miss some of the character building opportunities the first movie took. Oh yeah, yeah, they miss a lot of stuff trying to get to this point, it makes it distractingly confusing, because uh, at this point, when the with this first opening, I was very confused because, yeah, like you said, I don't know if they're in high school or not. Um, because the I know the in the original they were in high school, and that would have made a lot more sense for them to be in high school here. Um, yeah, Jamie's parents, where did they go? All of this stuff should have been better explained to us. And this is only an hour and twenty eight minutes. They had plenty more time to do this. Um, this should have been explained. Although I do think it is really funny that when Jane, you know, when Rachel's getting mad at her parents and she's just like, tonight's the night that he's going to make a commitment. I just know it. And it's just like, why would you say that to your parents, though? Yeah. It's just it's so campy. I thought the same thing. I thought it was hilarious when her mom said, you're going to eat more than that, right? And she said, mom, I'm on diet. You want an oinker for a daughter? <laughs> funny. I thought it was She's just so sassy. Yeah. So what do you think about... What do you think about Jamie is having visions of Michael Myers and she has never, ever seen him before? Okay. She doesn't know he escaped. She doesn't know, but she's having these like premonitions or something. And I also want to know what you think about the new mask. Okay. So first off, the visions at first confusing. Um, although I caught on why Mm -hmm. they were there because she's, she's a, a descendant of that family, you know? I got that part, although I, they could have been done much better. Maybe if they were to foreshadow the ending um, that does eventually happen where she's like visioning things that Michael would have done, maybe that would, I think, would have made it better and made it more clear that she's made it a bit more subtle that she's a part of this family and then reveal it later that she's a part of this family. But at that point, it's too late. And then she moves on to what happens at the ending. Um, I think that they could have done, been done much better. Um, the new mask. Oh, dear. Um, it does not look very good. Um, the original mask still looks fantastic because it it's clear that it was made this way. Someone bought the mask and then made it to look uh, purposefully ambiguous. This one is just ambiguous and is completely white. It does not look very good. It looks cheap. It... it does it takes away from some of the scariness of Michael because it looks that way? The mask isn't very good. I will agree that it looks cheap. It is pretty much just totally blank, with literally void of yeah. any kind of expression. Which I think they kind of took that whole shape thing too far. Whereas the first one was, yeah, kind of more ambiguous expression, and it almost looked like it could be a face. This I don't believe is a face. Right. Right. And I know that with horror, 
the ambiguity of it all is what makes it scary, but this one's not really that scary. I would say my biggest praise for this mask, though, is they don't show his eyes. It's all black. They mess. That's true. I didn't notice that, but now you bring it up, that make that make that that does help yes, a lot. They they nailed it in the first. Loved we never saw his eyes. Second one screwed it up by yeah. showing his eyes too much. <laughs> this one fixed it. I'm really hoping in the sequels they keep it that way because that really takes out the effect when you can just see his eyes because. Then it's just like, okay, he is literally wearing a mask. But otherwise, no, I kind of believe that is his face in a way. Right. Anyways, I do like this family dynamic with the Carruthers, but we don't spend any time on it. And it's rushed out the door before just like Rachel. I don't know if she's going to school or not, because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anybody's yeah. status in this movie. <laughs> right. So I am a little bit confused now more I think about this family thing because Laurie Strode never really becomes Michael. No. Um, and it, it isn't until, well, she doesn't become Michael at all, at least as far as mm-hmm. I know. And this one though, Jamie just at the very end of this one, she becomes essentially Michael, the yes. next Michael, uh, Michael is dead. So is it like once Michael dies, then it just kind of passes on to the next person in the family um is that how this works because i was just a bit confused since um since the not jamie but um laurie strode never became essentially michael the 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 embodiment of evil right well i don't Eh, well okay i believe you will get a definitive answer in the sixth movie okay but for now this is all incredibly ambiguous and head-scratching Clearly, there's something. Clearly, Michael is supernatural in some way because of him surviving the first two movies. Jamie has visions, so that means she has some kind of power. And I, I wondered if if it was when she touched his hand at the end that somehow passed it on to her. But I don't think that's it. I do think it's some inherent thing. I guess I kind of know the answer to it, but I won't give it away because that's in number six. Okay. Yeah, I kind of figured that these questions would probably be answered in the next sequels as well. Yes. Well, anyways, we get Loomis again, and I gotta say, I'm really not too happy to see him back because he literally plays the same character from the first two movies, and yeah. he he only has like a scar on his hand and on his face, which is really gross. But I, this is just goes beyond belief that Michael and Loomis would survive. That's been the biggest complaint, is they're both alive after that. Right. And the minute we saw the back of Loomis, I knew it was him. And I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, what does Loomis do in this movie? Other than alert the police. Well, Not, he doesn't. I don't think he does too much. No, he is playing the exact same role from the first movie and it, it's literally following the same exact character beats because we see him go to the gas station and find the mechanic and this is this is the same thing that happens in the first movie except they decided to expand it and make it more violent and make there be a confrontation right away but yeah i'm like okay this is still following the same story beats we get more friday the 13th s kills we see michael in a hospital gown and bandages, impale a mechanic. I'm like, this is not right. This is, they're doing new things, trying to keep up with horror movies. But honestly, this is still nothing yeah. new. Yeah. The 
for the first, really for the first hour of this movie, all the kills are either very, very tame or happen off screen. And it's kind of beginning to take away from the magic of at least the first two because we got to see these kills in great detail. And whenever they did happen, they were quite graphic. Even with the TV version that we, that I watched for Halloween mm-hmm. 2, it still showed a lot of kills. This one, it takes its own sweet time really until we get to the the stakeout or of the house is when this kind of becomes a big thing. We finally start seeing all these. But yeah, we see this... The uh, convenience store gas station shop owner, um, they're both dead. We don't ever get to see that. Um, multiple times, Michael just kind of... Uh, the, I think the first kill we actually see is when Michael attacks the guy at the power plant. Yeah, that is true, um, actually. And other than that, we don't really see much. In fact, for the first hour, Michael is almost non-existent. Um, he's, he shows up here and there, but nothing really happens. Well, I from what I read, they did film him murdering the mechanic but that was deemed too gruesome i guess doesn't make any sense they've Hmm. already got the r rating might as well use it i mean it's not like this is not 78 anymore it's almost the 90s this is nothing new i guess i'm very surprised they cut the scene and you're right and and another issue that i have is michael's magical oh yeah where Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, him being kind of omnipresent in the first movie worked because it wasn't beyond belief. We would see him walk right. away, or we would see someone look away and then they would look back and he was gone, or I don't know, it would show him chasing the person. This movie, right. Loomis is shoot, looking at him, shooting him, and then he is magically gone. That really bugged me at first. And then he goes from the rooftop to all the way down on the grass later on. I'm like, okay, you're going too far now. This is not scary anymore. This is... uh, It it just takes me out. I totally agree. There should have been more continuity. Michael should not have been this supernatural. I mean, he's he's still... technically a human um he may be the embodiment of evil but at the same time he's still given a human body to work with so he's it it would have made more sense and it would have made the movie honestly more scary if they had shown him like they did in the first one where like you said it isn't beyond belief that he was able to do things and be places that he is because it feels like in almost every scene michael somehow was there and then somehow disappears um, it makes me wonder what happened to him. Whereas in the first one, yeah, you see him do things, but it's so subtle um, that that's what makes it scary is that we don't know when he's going to show up, but we know that he can at, at, at different points in the story. This one, it, at this point, I'm just like, okay, when is he going to show up and where is he going to show up? It's a guessing game because half the time you don't even know and you can't guess because it's just so off the wall that he just shows up and then disappears at random times as well. I don't know. I guess it, I, I agree with you. It's there's no r- real continuity between Michael's powers powers right. in this one. I guess. Well, and we're continuing to follow the story beats of the first one. We see Jamie encounter yeah. some seriously brutal kids at school who are just. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh! This is they're making fun of her dead mom and very very bad. Um, very just. I don't know. That seems like at that age, I don't think kids are that evil. <laughs> 
So right, <laughs> and I mean, maybe if the movie had explained more that this is just her perception of the bullies at school, that would have made yeah. a lot more sense. They don't do that though. It just kind of feels like a almost a documentary uh, esque at this point. It's riding on the tales of uh, a wrinkle in time where Ooh. it's all like. Uh, today is a ten year anniversary of when your dad, uh, or when your dad disappeared. Hope you disappear too, exactly. or something like that. It's there are a lot of movies that also kind of do this, where it's just like on the nose, so bullying to such a degree that it's unbelievable. <laughs> I agree, and of course the bad girl's dad is the sheriff, just like Annie. Dad was a sheriff, of course. Of course. And Brady looks to me like a knockoff Josh Brolin from Goonies, which had just come out three years prior. Yeah, they, hmm, I didn't think about that. That is pretty funny, though. I I don't know. I'm glad Josh Brolin is in this. To I don't. I just don't want him to taint his career. <laughs> we get yeah. a nice knockoff Josh Brolin in this movie in the form of Brady, who's a total player, sleazebag, whatever. I don't know. Keeping yeah. with fashion with the classic Halloween men who are just out for one thing. It seems like. Anyways, what did you think of Jamie finding a nearly identical? Uh, that Michael had in the late 60s. See, at first it didn't click. Um, I oh. had forgotten that Michael had worn a clown costume in the first one, so it didn't really click for me. And I was like, why? But the movie these? tells you. Yeah, until, until it tells me. Yeah. Um, so at first, when they were picking up the clown costume, and, and uh, Rachel was like, oh, it's perfect. I was just like, why are they spending so much time on this clown costume? What's the big deal? <laughs> come to find out later there there's a there's a clear reason why I, it just went right over my head i had completely forgotten that michael was in the clown costume in the first one yeah i kind of had an issue with the movie i can understand it's been 10 years people probably you forgot and whatnot which is understandable because you only see it for about two minutes of the movie yeah the only problem is the kid that she sees herself in the mirror with doesn't even look like him at all because it's a different he's a different size and his hair is totally different so that kind of annoyed me a little bit anyways that's supposed to jamie has another vision and she sees michael behind her i do like it when she kind of sees the image and crashes into the mirror and stuff so yeah i like the haunting presence i can almost see them taking some really subtle cues from the original carpenter and whoever else wrote its script where Michael is more of a ghost. He yeah. simply appears. I think the execution sometimes works, and sometimes, like we just talked about, it's ridiculous how he's... What's he going to do next? Start flying around, <laughs> terrorizing them? Right, right. Yeah, he... It, it, at times, I think that the visions of Michael do kind of work for just the paranoia, the foreshadowing that Michael was coming back to Haddonfield, you know, that kind of stuff. It It works from time to time. Once again, we're kind of going back to those flashbacks. They could have been done much better, I think. Um, although, I do want to talk about Jamie's character real quick and what you think of her. Because there are there are times where I feel that her the actress that plays her works. And there are times I feel that the actress that plays her doesn't work. Um, one notable example is the beginning. Uh, she just feels way over dramatic and mm -hmm. asks Jamie, or no, asks Rachel, do you love me? And randomly cries and it's not very believable and but as the story goes along i begin to grow she begins to grow on me a little bit um just because of the way that she acts and we get, begin to understand what exactly is going on and um and then it completely loses me at the, at the very end i 
I, I would agree. I think for the most part, she does a fine job. I think sometimes her emotions are not very believable, but I guess as far yeah. as a kid actor goes, she does pretty good. I find it a little sweet when she's crying behind the tree and she's like, you're okay, you're okay. That, that seemed kind of organic, but at the same time, uh, a little funny. Yeah. But anyways, what's with this insane preacher scene where Loomis gets picked up by this crazy kook of a preacher guy with... Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's pointless. It's, it's just pointless filler for the movie. They, they don't have any ideas, yep. clearly. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is just bringing back that religious imagery. Reverend Jackson Sawyer is his name. Um, and it's it's very on the nose at this point. Those religious themes are all over the place. I mean, this is kind of just, I'd say even the climax of those themes. And that's the only thing I can think of is just that. And I don't really see any other point except that it get, it somehow gets Loomis from point A to point B, where he can finally be in Haddonfield. That's the only thing that is really here to serve. Um, I don't know why we needed to have it. It easily could have been written out. No issues. But for whatever reason, it's here. Did you make the connection right away why the why the long-distance phones were down? No. I had assumed that Michael had cut the phone lines, but no. Okay, it took me quite a while to figure this out. But... Yeah. During the gas station fight, Michael runs over the gas pump, which causes an explosion, which causes the telephone lines to crash, therefore oh. causing no communication to get out. Okay. Now I understand why that was there. Yeah. I was wondering why they showed the telephone lines fall, but okay, that makes sense. Took me a while to figure it out. The one thing that I think is stupid is when Michael throws the guy onto the electric power machine causing the whole town to lose power yeah what what <laughs> like the whole thing just explodes and the only thing that really happens is a, a human falls on top of it which is if, if that's what's going to happen if anything touches it then that's a huge security concern oh yeah Ugh. but anyways we get some kind of useless teenage drama love triangle between Rachel, Kelly, and Brady. Brady is clearly a total floozy. I think it's funny how Rachel is like, we're going to get married, clearly. And he's off doing things with Kelly. And Kelly is like yep. in her underwear in a short t-shirt giving out candy. I'm, I'm like, I oh my know. gosh. <laughs> I Yeah, it's just kind of stupid that this came to the conclusion because... She, because Rachel approached Brady and told him we can't hang out tonight because I have to go trick or treating with my sister, um, and he just goes fine, whatever, and gets really mad, and then decides to go and hang out with the with the with the other girl. Like, oh yeah, what? <laughs> this is so unneeded. It hurts. Oh sure, and okay, I've got a couple more issues. We've got a hick mob. Oh, yes. I guess in Illinois there is a lot of rednecks? Actually, yes, that is quite true because uh -oh. there are a lot of farms here. Okay. See, I I didn't think so. I was like, oh, this doesn't seem right. But you you know you live there, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. It, now, in Chicago, maybe not so much, but uh, rural. Oh, sure. And that there was a lot more, which Haddonfield is very much rural and kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. Well, 
I guess the hick mob becomes necessary because there is a police station massacre, which is unbelievable. I mean, they walk in, everything is destroyed. I'm just trying to visualize Michael just coming in, everybody just fire, 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 and he's just like destroying everything. It's stupid. I I mean, in a way, I like the omnipresence of Michael, but in a way, it's like, no, you don't have this grand Rube Goldberg machine plan where you're going to knock all the dominoes over and destroy the entire police force and take out the power in the phone lines magically. It's all really contrived and stupid, I think. think. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. He takes out the phone lines. He takes out the power. He takes out the entirety of the police force of Haddonfield essentially cripples the entire infrastructure of the small Illinois town just to kill Jamie. There's a lot of issues here. Like you said, the omnipresence, yes, is necessary for Michael. But to not but not to this degree, no way. Because at this point we've left we've left reality and we're kind of in this void where the movie begins to make up its own rules. Michael we don't even get to see Michael go in and kill the police station. We just see the aftermath. Once again, we don't see any kills until way late into the movie and it's all just aftermath of it all. Michael's character is not handled the best in this one. And it's kind of sad that we have to say that because he should have been handled for at least for the first two, he was handled handled quite well. And it this omnipresence of him always being in places always felt organic. Like he was there because the script didn't contrive him to be there, but he wanted to. Whereas in this one, he's just everywhere and just shows up at random times and does whatever he wants. And it doesn't make the it doesn't, the, the script feels so 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 sectioned off that it it's hard to get into it. Uh, and I would agree because the script really hits a lull when they're. They just, like, run out of things to do. There's lots of yeah. red herrings. There, Oh, my gosh, is that him? Is that him? I do like how Rachel and Jamie get separated. That does kind of heighten the sense of urgency and kind of fear. But it's quickly resolved and a little too conveniently, I feel. But once yeah. they get to the house and wait around for a really quick end, I feel like the movie has just really run out of steam for me. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to run something past you real quick about the scene when uh, Jamie uh, kind of runs off on by her on her own. Um, and I guess she kind of gets lost. Right. Well, for one, I actually have an issue. For one, so before this, the um, the signal goes out to the town that Michael's coming back. It would it is advised that you get inside your house, lock the door, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we see the parents come and get their kids. Nobody picks up Jamie for one reason or another. Um, but I digress. So Jamie gets kind of, um, I guess she's chased by, come to find out, a bunch of teenagers dressed as Michael. Um, now for me, this opened the door for a lot of possibilities. And I said, okay, this is, this could be potentially very smart. Instead of Michael embodying evil and that being passed on to the family and him always coming back to um kill the rest of his family he michael ends up being more of a symbol and he instead of coming back and always killing others and people of of his family um 
Michael, does, Michael instead, I think, shouldn't have come back really at all. And instead, we just get repeat murders um, of people dressing up as the shape and essentially carrying out whatever Michael had began. And I feel like this would have worked being 10 years after we get just this random psychopath who comes into Haddonfield or maybe already lived in Haddonfield and for one, one reason or another decides to carry out what Michael had began. And we just get that, we get those repeat copycat murders. I feel like that would have opened the door for a lot more possibilities, maybe even an anthology um, with with Halloween. I mean, of course, you know this, you've seen the series before and you know how it goes. I haven't yet. So I'm I don't know. What do you what do you think? Do you think it's a good or a bad idea if they would have done something like that? Well, I think it's a good idea because that is pretty much the idea that is implemented in the Scream films. And yeah. I love those movies. And that's what they do where it's kind of a copycat, but they are, there's always a purpose behind why they're doing it. It makes sense and it is connected. Yeah, where is this... Like you said, and like we said, this is more of just a rehash. There's really nothing fresh. And I think, I honestly think you would have liked better the kind of original script where Halloween is banned, but it is repressed to such a degree that it comes out in this bizarre supernatural way that starts just haunting everyone. And the yeah. events of the first movie start haunting everyone and they are people do see this shape and it is terrorizing them and killing them and whatnot. So I, I definitely agree with you. I do think this could have been better implemented and I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it because I'm glad the scream movies did it. And the scream is not, yeah. and the scream movies are original in their own way, but they also are kind of just cribbing off of everything. And that's the whole point of them. Right. But well the Scream movies didn't come out until I think 94, right? That was when yeah. the first one came out. It was it was a couple years after this movie yeah. and they really reinvigorated the genre because I think what we're experiencing here we are only four movies, technically three movies in counting right. the Myers trilogy and it's already tired. Yeah, I I do agree. The it would have been actually kind of interesting to have Scream before Scream came out, you know, with those copycat murders. And mm -hmm. maybe if it was smart enough, it would have started uh, making fun of itself and become, you know, self-reflecting. I don't know. It. I feel like that would have made it maybe even more scarier um, because you don't know who it could be. And you don't know when it's going to come back up right. or if it's going to come back up. I will say, thankfully, the movie does build some tension for me because just waiting around this house does, you know, something is going to have to burst. Something's got to give eventually. But when is it going to happen? We don't know. Right. But we do see uh, Michael's face in the background in one or two scenes calling back to the first movie. That really worked for me. Uh, now, the reason for certain players that could defend the homestead leaving, I think is dumb but yeah anyways it works better because i really love when michael comes and uh, i feel like it does recapture the terror of when rachel finds the dead bodies just like when uh Lori found her friend's dead bodies in the house uh, granted it's not as good but i'm feeling it again and then from here on out it's i'd say it's pretty exciting yeah 
Um, I I guess I kind of half agree with that. I feel like now we are finally doing something yes. with the movie because for the first like hour, nothing happens. Nothing really of really nothing of any significant occurs except um except maybe Loomis knows that Michael is now headed towards Haddonfield. Other than that, nothing nope. nothing really happens. And finally at this in this last scene we we do something, which is we sit in the house and we stake out and wait for Michael to show up. Um which I guess is fine. I mean it just feels I guess it's just asking for a climax at this point, I feel. Oh, sure. And, and uh, then we have two of the officers run out uh, for various reasons, and we're only left with Brady uh, and another officer to protect them um, because they're smart, and they know that Michael's going to show up. So, yeah. I It just feels so contrived, this ending does. For as exciting as it is, and maybe for me it was a bit more exciting only because the rest of the movie had kind of been pretty dull up to this point, I I have so many issues with it because in the in the original, it, when the climax was happening, it was very, th- very thrilling because it had kind of been building to this point. It, it didn't just jump into it, you know, like the only real explanation we get is that Michael is looking for Jamie. And that's really the only th- reason um, for Michael to have ever come back to Haddonfield in the first place, which is honestly even by mistake. I don't know. I mean, the ending is fine, but I would have loved for it to have done more to get to yeah, this Yeah, it doesn't really feel earned. And I was like, the gas was really running out for me because there's really no tension building, no character setup. It's fairly weak leading up to this, but ultimately I do like, I, I really like the rooftop scene. Yeah, that is pretty fun. Um, actually, in the original script, Sheriff Meeker was killed in a battle with Michael in the basement, and the furnace was knocked over and caused the house to catch on fire. And the house was supposed to go up in flames during this mm-hmm. rooftop sequence, but it was eliminated due to budgetary constraints and Sheriff Meeker was kept alive. I think a house on fire would have right. made it even more exciting. Yeah, I think it would have because, yeah, I, now I think about it, I think that would have worked a lot better uh, because I know in the first one, Michael, of course, attacks you at the house. You know, the safest, really the safest place um, that you can have. And now the house is being burnt down, which is even worse. Um yeah, I think that would have that would have worked. But for me up until this point, I was honestly wondering why in the world is this rated R? Oh, um, sure. It was there was nothing in it up until of course this point when Michael actually begins doing things uh, that we actually get to see. Um nothing ever screamed an R rating to me. It felt very PG-13 and PG-13 was out at this time. It had been out for about 4 years. So yes. up until this point, I was just wondering, I was like, where is, the, where is this rated R coming from? And we get that now. I, I 100% agree. This is very much the PG-13 version of Halloween. Uh, there's yeah. there's at least two F-words, I think, which would give it the R rating. The violence and gore is very tame, especially by today's standards. And right. the quote-unquote scene is still... Far more tame because in the first movie, we got a significant amount of nudity. 
This one, we don't yeah. really get any nudity. I mean, kind of, in a way, but it's cut off fairly quickly. So, yeah, I mean, if if you kind of want something a little more mild and more for the teenage appropriate, I guess you could say, and you can't watch the first Halloween movie, then I would say this is a viable substitute because it's definitely the PG-13 Halloween movie of today. Right, right. I I do agree. And I mean, I think it's up until the point when Michael sticks. Oh, I forget the girl's name. Um, is it Lindsay, the girl that's also in the house with the with the shirt over her? Oh, that's her? Kelly. Okay, Kelly. Um, I would say up until the point when Kelly dies, when Michael takes the shotgun and like impales her onto the wall with the shotgun. Um, that's really the point where it turned for me and began an R. It's when it gave it the R rating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there really isn't too much in this that really makes it stand out as an R rating. They didn't really, I guess they, they didn't really um, take advantage of that either. Right. And I do find it, I I find the whole school sequence to be boring. I kind of checked out for a while (laughs) until the redneck showed up. Then I kind of checked back in, but even then it was still only once Michael started ripping their necks off or some 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 crazy violent stuff all of a sudden then it got my attention again yeah and that was what made the original so fun is that michael always used tools around him or his knife to kill somebody and he always hid and essentially plain sight like the i know we had mentioned the uh the bed sheet scene when he had killed the nerd in the in the living room beforehand and went upstairs with the bedsheet over him and the glasses and the girl that was with them, you know, began to mess with them. And then we, but of course the audience, we knew at this point that it was Michael and that scene was just so intense because we knew what he was capable of. We never get anything like that here. And it, it kind of pulls away from the enjoyment. And yeah, once we get to the school scene, it's like, what, what are we doing here? Why are we in, why are we in the school? And I mean, I guess there's a logical reason because it gets the attention with Loomis and everything. Well, but I just don't, I just want to know why. Well, it's this movie is very interesting because you bring up a really good point, actually, that I hadn't thought about. Michael doesn't utilize his classic butcher knife pretty much at all in this movie. We yeah, I think one time we see him with a with a knife. One time he actually picks it up. That's I really think that is in the dream slash vision sequence when he clearly has the knife, but. Yeah. Otherwise, right. he is pushing people. He, uh, I did kind of like it when he rammed her through with the shotgun. That was really brutal. We didn't really see it, mm-hmm. but that's still just a callback from the first one when he stabs the one guy in the door. But he, we don't get that great right. shot of him like looking at it. And yeah, Michael is more hands on. He's mostly just using his hands or the objects around him in some weird crazy way to impale people or like bend it around or some strongman act i don't know anyways so i okay i do like when michael is thrown from the car and rachel just i love how michael just stands there and lets himself get rammed that was kind of disturbing yeah Uh, i will say up until this point when michael just magically shows up to be climbing on top of the truck i was like (laughs) at that point the movie had kind of broke me and i was like you have got to be kidding me 
like they were itching so bad to get Michael into this situation that they f- essentially wrote themselves into a corner <laughs> and said, oh, great. Now what do we do? And he just so they said, oh, he'll just magically show up. This is when I think that the omnipotence of Michael just goes way too far. Oh, yeah. um, and it becomes even more unbelievable that he starts killing people in the back of the truck and nobody notices until it's too <laughs> late when he kills the driver. But yeah, it is pretty fun to see Michael on top of the car just being thrown around while Rachel is trying to drive and, and stuff like that. And Jamie's like trying to hold on, you know. Yeah, this is a, I will agree, once we get to this point, it is pretty fun. Um, isn't isn't very scary, but it's a fun moment that's just 80s camp. Okay, but what do you think about when they start shooting him with a hail of gunfire, Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde style, stupid gun, cheesy sound effects, and he, like, falls into a sh- mine shaft or something? I don't know. What'd you think of that? And then they, they're they like, yeah. oh, he's dead. Good. It's over. Good to know. Yeah. I knew I knew almost 100%. I was like, Michael's <sighs> not dead. There's there's no way. Come to find out, I was so totally wrong because I guess if you shoot him, he doesn't die. If you shoot him twice, he doesn't die. If you burn him, he doesn't die. But if you bury him, that's what kills him. Right. <laughs> I mean, for a while, I was like, ah, there's no way he's dead. This movie's just going to keep going. This is going to be the end of it right here. I end up being wrong because I don't even know how. There's no logical way for me to reason that this that this ending happens the way it does. But Well, okay, tell me what I you think know. about this I, dark twist. So, the dark twist. Um, hmm. I would have very much liked it if it ended up being the copycat murderers and we got one, but maybe there's going to be more that show up. Um, like I, admit, I talked about this before in the podcast. Um, hmm. I don't know. I guess it's kind of hard because there really isn't much foreshadowing that we get that makes it stand out. We get Jamie envisioning Michael. I mean, once you've, finish the movie you will begin to understand why that happens but as it's going along it kind of feels like there's no reason for it to be there you know so the ending i don't know i'm honestly very torn because in one sense it is pretty spooky and i think this is the scariest part of the movie and you get loomis's reaction which i almost feels authentic um but at the same time though it it feels like they're grasping for straws because they want to continue this series so badly that they write in this ending that I feel could have been done much better. Um, I don't know. I'm honestly very, very torn because it it could it's almost go it could almost go either way for me because I I really do want to like this ending and part of me does, but at the same time it feels like just a lazy way of come back for the next one. You know, I I do like this ending actually because I think this is what they. They needed to get fans back, so they basically remade the first movie. Now they're saying this is over, and we're going to give you the new killer in the form of this little girl. I think they could take this to some very interesting places, but I'm afraid it will just be a rehash because, yeah, it's kind of been done before. But I wasn't expecting it. I liked they came back to the POV at the very end instead of doing it at the beginning of the the very first movie. I thought it was a great twist. I did love Loomis's reaction. It was really pained and genuine, I felt. And I, okay, I believed she did 
murder her foster mother, but I guess we don't have confirmation of that, and that was originally in the script, but it was scrapped because they wanted it to be more ambiguous, and that would have been too dark or something, but I yeah. like it. I, I like it. Yeah, I think that leaving out the fact that she had killed her stepmom, I think that was a pretty good choice. Although I do wonder, because they did say that Michael went back to uh, her... She went... So Michael went back to the adopted parents' house first. Right. And I remember the movie explaining this. And then he moves on. Yes. Um, and the parents are alive still? Uh, oh, or was, was it because he was in the back of the police vehicle? Yeah, he, he went there before they came there. Yeah. Right. I remember that part. And I was wondering why he didn't kill the parents. Because usually when Michael just shows up at a place, he's going to no, kill him. So here... Um, so the sequence between the power lines and the police station and going to the parents is very muddled. It just seems like he's able to do it all at once. I don't know how he gets around town that quick. From what I could tell, Michael went there and sniffed around. Then Loomis and the Meeker chief came and looked around. Then the parents came. And then Loomis decided to go back because he's like, Michael will come back there. No, duh, he did not. That's why the parents are not dead. I, I'm i assuming they just been been home the whole time and we're, okay. we're somehow safe, I guess. And somehow Loomis knew to leave the parents' house and come back and find Jamie in the street. I don't want to go into those details because it's so conveniently derived for this plot. But anyways, I do think what they're really trying to do, like you said, is just get people to come back. To see the next movie. Uh, this is a right, short movie. Yeah. It clocks yeah. in at an hour and 24 minutes. So very short. Just barely makes that 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 yep. feature length. Just, just enough. So honestly, this feels... In previous viewings, it always felt like a movie. I will admit, just for time purposes, I was very busy. I watched this movie at 1.5 times. So, <laughs> not it was not at two times, so it did not cut the time in half or anything, but 1.5 times. Yeah. This really, and just going off the plot, this really feels like a 45-minute or whatever you want to call hour-long TV special. This could have been a one of those hour-long TV movies or whatever. This feels like a spin-off in my mind. Yeah, very TV. Um, it, yeah, it, it just feels like... Um, wouldn't this be a cool idea? Put it on TV, you know. It doesn't feel like a main like a main storyline movie for Halloween at least. So, Alan, let's give the viewers a quick review recommend and rating for this movie. So, Halloween 4 Return of Michael Myers. Um, hmm. This movie thrives off of conveniences. And that's the movie's biggest shortcoming is that Michael becomes such an omnipotent force that the movie begins to lose what made him so scary in the previous sequels, not counting number three. It begins, Michael, it's just frustrating because in the first two, yes, Michael was always there, but it didn't ever feel like he was all-powerful. 
it it felt like yes, there is a lot. I can logically believe that he made it from here to there, um, even though we didn't see it in this one. They thrive off of Michael being everywhere at once, and he does random things that really don't mean much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, he cuts the power. So what? What does that do? He cuts the phone lines. It's a mild inconvenience. Um, he does. There's a lot of things that Michael does that feel so anti-Michael that it begins to pull away from his realism, and he's no longer... He's no longer this evil person, this evil thing, I guess I could say. This, he's no longer this evil thing that is constantly going after people of his family. He, he feels like this thing that just kind of shows up whenever he wants to, whenever the plot demands a thrilling scene, and they utilize, they abuse that so often that it, it becomes, it makes the script feel stilted. And that kind of boils it down to the pacing because for the first for this is an hour and a half long movie and somehow nothing happens until we finally get to the house but even then it's so insignificant that the only reason why this movie exists is so that way we can have the ending with jamie and now she's killed the next person she's become michael that I feel like that's the only reason for this movie to exist is just so we can propel the plot so that way we can continue to tell the story um, and make more money off of it. It doesn't feel as genuine as the original Halloween, and that really begins to take away from a lot of the realism and all the scariness. Um, some good things, I guess I probably should talk about some good things. There are some creative kills. Um, there are times when this movie utilizes silence to really set the tone and i think that there are times when this does really work at times it does not i think that the music however subtle it is at times they do do some interesting things in reworking the composition of the original tune and i think that that ends up working pretty well because it's no longer a retread they're actually making something new out of it we get uh we get the this, the really quick motif every once in a while, especially with the Hicks, and it's very, very subtle in, at times. And it, I think that that really does work. And I think that this is almost on par with the original in terms of quality of score and how they utilize that. But beyond that, honestly, I don't think I can recommend this. It, The more I think about it, the more I feel this is just ends up being a waste of time because so many things just don't happen and there is it's so eventfulless up until the last 10 minutes so for me i'm really torn i'm i'm between a four and a five and i, I think i might end up going a four and a pretty solid mild not recommend hmm, i don't know it's it has me torn it's got good elements that don't make up for anything but good elements that make it enjoyable to watch. But at the same time, those bad elements are so lazy that it it almost makes the whole movie feel so what when it's all over with. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, I say is a welcome return to the formulaic plot of the first film. It doesn't really bring really anything new to the table except a fun, sometimes thrilling adventure in the Halloween series. I am glad to report this, 
Okay, it's a high note, considering the series rapidly fell apart about two sequels ago. But Halloween 4 is a harmless movie that is an enjoyable watch for me every October. If you if you really sit down and think about it, this movie is literally just a rehash of the first one, except not as good. And there's got it has a ton of plot holes and a ton of issues with it. But like I said, if you're looking for something fun to fill your October month with, then I'm going to give Halloween six stars out of ten with a mild recommend. I will agree with you. This movie is pretty harmless. It, it doesn't really do anything. Th- doesn't really do much at all. But I mean, it it doesn't really do anything that would elicit it to destroy the franchise. At no. All. It, in fact, it opens up the door for making even more of uh, what's going to happen 50 years down the road and stuff like that. I think that is pretty interesting. I think it's a fun watch. It it won't, like, tick you off like Halloween 3, oh, but yeah. it won't intrigue you like Halloween 1. But nevertheless, I still think you can have fun with this movie, especially just because between the rooftop scene running through the school and then chasing on top of the truck, I think that kind of makes it worth it. It's kind of fun. Uh, I'm really interested to see where we're going to go and what we're going to think with the next movie in the series, Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers. Well, that will not be our next review. We will be coming back with our review of ready player one. I am uh, well, okay, by the time of this recording, I will be done with the, by the time it's published, I'll be done with yeah. the book. I'm got to report the book is awesome. I really love it. So I'm expecting the movie to be just as great. I'm super pumped to bring you that review with Alan here. Uh, we're we're going to love it. I hope. I hope. Yeah. We can only dream, but I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's Spielberg behind the wheel. He's usually pretty good at making things fun. Uh. Now, whether or not all his films are great, that's a different story. But for the most part, they're generally really good. Oh, yeah. Spielberg is back doing what he does best, kind of redoing the 80s for the modern era. So yeah. super pumped for Ready Player One. But Which make is, sure to look for that review coming very soon. Yeah. Which is almost perfect for him because he was like the king of the 80s when it came to family movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So hopefully you're enjoying this Halloween retrospective with us. Make sure to comment your thoughts on this movie. What do you think about the return of Michael Myers? We want to know. We want to know uh, if you're looking forward to the sequels or if this is one of your favorite movies in the series. Make sure to leave a comment below. Share, subscribe, like, all of those wonderful things. You guys are 21st century kids. You know the drill. And we're super excited for you to be here at Silver Screen Guide talking about movies and films with us. We absolutely love it. Make sure to go over to the website. You'll find everything you need from video game reviews to TV and movie reviews, uh, articles, Oscar discussions, everything you could want. Go check out the archives for the podcast. We've got it all. We're so excited to bring you a brand new year here. We are in full swing with multiple retrospectives right now. Uh, We will be coming back very soon with Jurassic Park 3. Uh, Make sure to go back and listen to our previous two entries so you can be caught up with us. And yeah, we're doing a lot of great reviews leading up to a lot of brand new uh, weekend of releases movies. And it's also, uh, I also do want to mention, we did talk about this in the um, 
op- the opening year podcast, where we or the update podcast for 2018, we mentioned that we're going to be trying to do some more video game reviews. Well, I have a little surprise. Corbin doesn't know this yet. <laughs> Today, I finished Shadow of the Colossus. Um, so look for that coming soon. I began constructing the outline today when i finished it this afternoon so well, actually the, at the time of this recording that afternoon so that'll be coming pretty soon that'll be the first video game review that i'll be able to that we'll be able to put up for the year um eventually i have a couple more coming out i'm still working on a doki doki literature club review Ooh. uh or i guess not really a review it's more of just a, an article i'm um, we're also working uh no due date on this one yet but i'm working on resident evil 4 for gamecube uh, that's also a review coming soon. Pretty long game. So those are just a couple of things I'd just like to make an announcement for. Definitely. We are really excited to bring you reviews from multiple platforms because I think video games are really important also. Fingers yeah. crossed I get a PS4 for graduation. Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, you going to play the new version? Because I'm only reporting from the PS3 port. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll get to play Resident Evil on the PS4, Shadow of the Colossus. I did play Shadow of the Colossus on the PS4. It was fun. It was gorgeous. But anyways, listeners, uh, thank you again so much for joining us for Halloween 4, and we look forward to seeing you next time with Ready Player One.